Hello, and welcome to the Southeast Students Podcast. Here you can find all of the teachings from our special series in middle school group and high school group. Our goal as a ministry is to guide young people into a personal relationship with Jesus and train them to become like Him. We pray that these teachings help you to do just that. You're listening to our study through the book of Acts. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. So guys, who can tell me, it's been a long time since we've been together, but we're back in the book of Acts, so start, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, but while you're turning there, what did the one and only Sky Guy tell us about last time we were in the book of Acts? Last time, Skylar taught us about Paul's time in Thessalonica and in Berea. So last time, Paul shared the gospel at a synagogue in Thessalonica, that's where in Thessalonica they were, a riot starts, and they're super mad, and they call the believers those who turn the world upside down. Uh, Paul was staying at the house of a guy named Jason, not Jason Momoa or Jason Thompson. Uh, his name is Jason. Um, but anyway, the rioters, they go. Gentlemen, are you with me? Yes. Cool. The rioters, they go, and they find Jason, where Paul's been staying. They don't find Paul, and they, like, drag him literally out into the city. It's a whole deal. They end up taking money from him. It sucks for him. But they end up not finding Paul and Silas um, because they went by night to Berea or they end up going by night to Berea after that. And then there they meet some noble Jews as, um, or some noble believers, as it was put. Those people, they didn't just take Paul at his word. They actually checked the scripture to see if those things were true. So when Paul was teaching, they'd be like, wow, Paul, that sounds great. And then they went and they read their Bibles and like, yeah, seems legit. Which, by the way, I would hope, and this is actually, this is my plea with you guys. I'm asking you now, please, please, please do that when I speak with you or when anyone speaks with you, when Pastor Ryan speaks with you, like you should go home and like read your Bible. And if it doesn't add up, please come and talk to me. I would love nothing more than for one of you to come up to me and say, actually, Liam, I was reading the Bible and what you said is not true. Because one, I get to learn more. But two, I actually know for a fact that you're actually spending time with the Lord outside of here. Like you actually wanna know Jesus. And believe it or not, guys, I actually can be wrong sometimes, actually often, because I don't know what I'm talking about. It's by God's grace that I'm able to speak at all up here. Um, So if I'm ever wrong, like, I would love it for you guys to tell me and for you guys to notice and be like, no, Liam, that wasn't actually what the text was saying. That's not what God's talking about here in this passage. So please do that um, when anyone teaches you in life. If you learn that skill now, I promise you, your spiritual life will be, like, way, way stronger. So afterward, the Jews from Thessalonica, they track Paul down all the way to Berea in tents, and then they rile up the crowds there too. So Paul is sent off by himself, actually. Silas and Timothy remain behind, and he's sent off to a city called Athens, and that's where we're picking up. So verse 16, we are picking up here next. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them, I would have some of you guys read, but it's a really long passage, so I'm sorry. So I'm going to read. So it says in verse 16, Now while, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is waiting for his bros, Silas and Timothy, to meet him at Athens. Um, who knows what Athens is? Tell me a little bit about Athens. Is anyone? It, it, yes, Jed. We're in Acts 17. Okay, Cody, I feel like you know some of this stuff. Tell me a little bit about Athens. It was one of the main 
kingdoms and hubs of the ancient Greek Empire. It was. You were right. At this point, it's not really the same thing it was. It's kind of on the decline. Um, but this was, at some point in the world, one of the most influential cities on the planet. Like, this was a big deal. Um, at this point in history, though, Athens is actually on the decline. But it's filled with beautiful architecture and art. It's amazing. But all that art and all that beauty is actually dedicated, for the most part, to their false gods and their false idols. And so Paul's walking around this beautiful city, and he's actually not impressed at all. He's actually, like, brokenhearted about it, um, which I love because he's not mad. Like, he's not angry. Like, oh, man, these freaking pagans. It's not like that. It's like, man, like, he's brokenhearted over these people. Like, these people don't know Jesus. And he can't, literally, he can't take it anymore. Um, so he was provoked within him, it says, and so he reasons out of that place. So out of that place, he starts talking about Jesus. Like, I can't do this anymore. These people don't know Jesus. So Paul, he's preaching here, and it's very specific. And if you, any of you guys know this brownie points, I was just curious to see if any of you guys have heard it. Luke specifically mentions, he says, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Do any of you guys know what those are? Stoic? Yes. Stoic? What is a Stoic? Give me what a Stoic is. <laughs> they're kind of like sad. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're more sad than Epicureans, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. Stubborn? Maybe, somehow, I mean. They're stubborn. <laughs> so a Stoic, it kind of, that's kind of the vibe. Like, that's kind of like the popular version of a Stoic. But Stoics, I'll give you a quick rundown of what these two are. Yes, Ruben. No, not Stoic the best, unfortunately not. But, so, Stoic philosophers, shh, is that, the, is that Hiccup's dad's name in uh, How to Train Your Dragon is Stoic? Dude, that's a cool name. But anyway, so, here's what you guys really need to know. So, Epicureans didn't believe in God. They only really believed in the material world. Their main goal in life was pleasure. So, they'd probably be the party people that Ruben was talking about. They're kind of like hedonism. They're kind of more given to that. They're not exactly hedonists, but this is like really basic terms. You can look up more if you'd like. The Stoics, they believed that God was everything. Do you guys know the word for that? If you believe that everything in the universe is God, there's a word for it. Pantheism. Pantheism, you're right. Good job. So they're pantheists. Their main goal in life is to be disciplined and self-controlled. So that's kind of why they get the vibe for like, oh, there's emotionless. It's because their job and the way they see it is their responsibility in the world, the highest thing they can do is be self-controlled, orderly people, which means their emotions don't rule over them. Which sounds good, but that still doesn't really square with the gospel message because the gospel is about Jesus living the perfect life that we never could. So those people are trying to do their own thing, and like, if I just master myself with self-control and discipline, I can reach the highest good. The Bible says you actually can't do that, and no matter how hard you try, you never will. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect life you could, and now, as a believer, our obedience is because Jesus gives us the power to obey. So even though it sounds good, neither of these really square with Jesus. So Paul's not having it. He's not like, eh, close enough. Like, that's not, he's not taking it. So Paul's preaching Jesus to him. And the people, they make fun of Paul. They call him a babbler, which basically means that he's giving off ideas that aren't his. Like, that's what they're claiming. Like, oh, he just got that from somewhere else. And he's just repeating things he's heard. Um, but some people thought he's just talking about more gods they didn't know. So verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. 
Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul's brought by the Athenians to the Areopagus, which is a really fancy word. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a council of people who watched over all the religious and educational ideas of the city. That's kind of their job. So there's like, there's this new guy in town. What the heck is he spreading? So he's not in trouble or on trial. They just want to hear what's up. Um, Luke makes a note here. He says that the people of Athens love to hear new things. That was their favorite hobby. It's just, I want to hear something new. They want to hear new ideas about life, the gods, whatever it would be. Dan. I would assume they would um, want to hear new things because the old things that weren't godly, they weren't satisfied. satisfied. Yeah. And so they want to hear more. Like some things with like the world, you always want more of, but they didn't have like Jesus in their lives. Totally. Which yeah. was never, which what they had was never enough. Some new philosophy, some new idea, some new way of living. If you look at the philosophy history, which I'm only kind of vaguely familiar with, I mean, new people come up with new ideas quote-unquote new ideas all the time like new ways to live and we're going to get into that in a second but have you guys can anyone tell me what it means to be open-minded who can tell me what that means elijah yeah is that a good thing who can tell me i want to hear your opinions is it good to be open-minded eve Yeah. Not necessarily not having an opinion, but being open to other people's opinions um, while still being able to retain, I guess. While still being able to retain your own? Okay. Shane? Um, I mean, yeah, it's better to be open-minded cause, like, to other religions, kind of. Because if you were just like, no, only my religion is real. I mean, yeah, it is. But kind of just like being mean to them, like completely shutting them off. We shouldn't be mean that, to them, that's for sure. That wouldn't bring them... Right. But should I be open minded to their religion? I mean, not trusting in it, but not like just being flat out. So not being cold about it. Yeah. Like open to learning it. Yeah. Yeah, learning about it. Uh, I think you should be open minded to uh, not really their beliefs, but to why they believe with like the. reasoning behind why their beliefs appear. You should be open to hearing that and learning about that. Because you want to learn about the other person. Yes, because okay. it wouldn't make... It, you, if you're, you should be open-minded to the foundations of everything. Yeah. Maybe not anything after that. But. So, like, why they've come to this conclusion, you're yeah. curious about. But, like, your actual beliefs... Yeah, okay. Any other thoughts on being open-minded? Any other defense for or against... Okay, question. One more question for you guys. How many of you guys? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see it. No, no one said anything. Okay, I'm so sorry, Amanda. Yeah. Okay. So one more question for you guys. How many of you guys like to learn new things? Like just various fans. Okay, I like to learn new things too. I think it's great. I'm a huge nerd. I think science is great. I like learning new things. Um, It's awesome. But here's the deal. If we never learn to base our lives on what's true, specifically when I say what's true, specifically on the truth of God's word, and if we continually search for the rest of our lives for new meaning, 
new ways to live, new things to entertain us, we'll never really grow at all, like ever. I have a verse for you. This is from Matthew 7. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon of all time. Jesus said this. He says, everyone then who hears, my wor- hears these words of mine and does them, that means lives as if they're true, is applying them to their lives, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So if we don't set our lives on the rock of Jesus, but if we continue to search for something new, like we'll just be beaten down by life. We won't be strong. The reason we won't be strong is because we haven't founded our lives on anything. There's nothing really to place our roots in. Um, You guys are young. Like now is the time in your life to really build your lives on what's true so that you can have a firm foundation and grow into mature and strong people. Like if you're always guessing like, well, man, who is God? Like who, I mean, what should I even be doing with my life? Like those are the core questions that the Christian faith answers for you in that Jesus is the son of God. He gave his life for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And because of that, you're able to now walk with Jesus and glorify God in all you say and do. Like that's your life goal now. But if you're not solid on that, I mean, where do you even go? Like, what do you even do? And so my like challenge for you guys going forward from here is like, man, this is your opportunity to build your life on the rock of Jesus now before you start making these decisions in life. Um, the world is constantly going to try and sell you something new all the time. Like, look at how fast internet trends go. Guys, I feel like an old man. Like, the vines I thought were cool, like, seven, eight years ago, whenever Vine was a thing in 2016, they're not funny anymore. And probably most of you haven't seen them. Because, like, yeah, I'm just, what you, unless you watch Vine compilations on YouTube. But, like, guys, I wasn't in high school that long ago. Like, that was the content. That was the funny stuff. That was what everyone was talking about. And now it doesn't even matter anymore. Like, I'm out of touch. I'm an old man. What happened, you know? Like, this is, yeah, what? See, this is what I'm talking about, Shane. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm feeling lost. But, but guys, the world just is going to continue to come up with new stuff all the time. And it's exhausting. Like, man, Jesus said everything that ever needed to be said 2,000 years ago. The Bible says that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness, which means nothing else needs to be said. The Bible is a finished book. Everything I ever need to know about how to be a godly man, how to walk in my life, how to make right decisions has already been said. And I don't have to search anywhere else for that. I just get it because the Lord gave it to me. Um, That's what the beauty of being rooted in the truth of the Bible is, is that I'm strong. So back to Paul. They asked him about his ideas. This is his opportunity to speak the truth about Jesus. And so as Paul does, he does what he does and he begins a sermon impromptu. So verse 22. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul begins his teaching, and he starts by noticing that the people of Athens are a very religious people. Probably didn't mean that as a compliment. I don't think that was actually something that they should be proud of because these guys are religious in like all the wrong ways. They worship gods. They give themselves to gods, but not the real Lord of heaven and earth. Um, they all wanted to worship false, worship false gods and made sacrifices to them regularly. Um, 
some of which were just not very good. He also points out that they had an altar to the unknown god, which is really interesting. Why do you think they built something like this? Who builds an altar to an unknown god? What's the point of that? Because they're open, always open to new things and worrying about new gods to worship. There's that. It's true. Just cover all bases. That's exactly it. <laughs> it covers all your bases. I don't want some god to be mad at me that I didn't know about. So if I have this altar to the unknown god and I worship that, he can't be mad. Listen, we didn't forget about you. Like, that's how many new ideas have entered into Athens at this point. Completely ridiculous. But Paul is using this altar as a segue to talk about the gospel. He's using it as a little opportunity to talk about Jesus. He's not saying that they were already worshiping Jesus by sacrificing to this idol. I hope you know that. That's not the point. Paul's just using this as an example to talk about the gospel. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty open to hearing him. I mean, he's talking about other, like, some other thing they've never heard of. Like, let's talk, who's this Jesus guy? Yeah. They didn't? That's a plus. That happens a lot to Paul. So he did, he's still standing. So big win. So verse 24, Paul continues. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Yes, even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Stephen, I'm so sorry. Could you give me a bottle of water from in the kitchen? I'm like dying over here. But Paul's point is that he's, the point of this little section is really interesting to me. Paul's point is he's, what he's essentially saying is we don't get to decide who God is. Like we don't get to make that decision. So he's like, listen, he doesn't live in the temples we make and he isn't who we say that he is. You don't just get to decide those things. He's actually the Lord of heaven and earth which means he's in charge, not us. He's in charge of everything, and that means he's the one who decides what's true about himself, about himself, not us. Thank you, Stephen. You're the best. Guys, can we give a round of applause for Stephen? Yeah, thank you. So, um, God doesn't, like... Let us decide what we think of him, and that's just what he becomes, right? It's not like, oh, well, in my God, you know, he would never do something like that. Well, your God isn't the real God. The real God is the one whom he has revealed himself to be. So, also, Paul points out, God doesn't actually need anything from us. Do you guys know that? Like, God doesn't need you for anything. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be harsh. I say that because the Bible says that. That's just the truth. God doesn't need you. He loves you, and he wants to know you. But he doesn't need you to do the sacrifices and to be on your best behavior and worship him in order to function. That's not the point. God doesn't actually need us. That's what I was talking about. I totally spaced. But uh, God doesn't actually need us. So our sacrifices and good behavior, like the Lord appreciates those. He's pleased by them, um, but he doesn't need them. In fact, Paul flips the script and he says, actually, we're the ones that need God. Like it's him who gives us what we need. That's reality. He gives us every single breath. Take a deep breath with me. Oh my gosh. 
That was a breath, man. Oh my gosh. Can't take you guys anywhere. But, guys, the reason, <laughs> the reason you're able to breathe is because the Lord has willed it to be so. That's my point. What about like, like what? What about lungs? <laughs> okay, Malachi doesn't even have to ask questions anymore. But <laughs> the reason your lungs are functioning, honestly, though. So, listen. The reason your guys' lungs are functioning and your hearts are beating is because the Lord has willed you to be alive. Never forget that, ever. The reason you're here is because God has sovereignly allowed you to still be alive. Like, I could have gotten hit by a bus on the way here, but I didn't. Why? It's because the Lord allowed me to be here. Like, the Lord wanted me to be here. So, here's Paul's point. Even our human achievement, the biggest countries and nations in the world, they're set up by God. He's the one in control of everything. Why do you think Paul is stressing God's sovereignty so much? Why talk about the fact that God's all these things? Why do the Athenians need to hear this? Like, you think they would know because they know a lot about the gods. Why is he stressing all this? Reuben. Maybe tell them that this God is all powerful. I think so. You're getting to it, yeah. I think you guys are kind of dancing around it. I think really the reason Paul's getting at is that this life is not about them. This is about the Lord. So he's actually flipping it. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cody, do you have something to add? No, I was, you, you said it. Okay. I'm sorry. You were right. But so you, were, you would have been correct. But what he's getting at is like, listen, this life is, yes, Eve. Guys, I'm, okay. You guys are too far in my periphery. I can't see you. Um, but here's the deal. Paul's point is like, listen, all these good things that God does for us um, are so that the people of the world could know and find the one real true God. In fact, God is actually incredibly close to humans. That wasn't a popular idea in this culture at the time. Um, they believed their gods were far off. And if you go read Greek mythology, they're kind of all jerks. And they're not really good gods. They don't really act like gods. They actually act way more like petty people. But here's the deal. Paul, what Paul is saying is that the real Lord of heaven and earth is not like that at all. Malachi, are you with me? Cool. So God isn't really like that. God's actually close to us and is all powerful and all strong. And then Paul quotes some po poets from Athens. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. And for indeed we are his offspring. Um, those are quotes from poets at the time in Athens. Um, even though these poets didn't follow Jesus, they're hitting on biblical truth. So Paul quotes them to bring the point home. And because his hearers would have known what he was talking about. Uh, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being, also known as God, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of Look, which, by the way, he just called everything that's been going on in their culture the times of ignorance, so roasted. But God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul, he gets to the point. He's like, since we're made in the image of God, it is our job. It's literally our responsibility as humans to know God. 
That's our job. Not only is that our job to know God, it's not just to think up fancy ideas about who God could be. You see that a lot in the world today. It's like people just thinking, oh, well, God's like this and God's like that. Well, God has actually revealed and told us exactly what he's like in the Bible. That's God's description of himself. He tells you what he, who he is, um, what he likes, what he hates, his goal for our lives, why he created the world in the first place, all those things. The Bible tells it to you. And the people of Athens, they loved to spend all their time thinking about who the gods were and what they could be like and how people should live their lives. But Paul's point is, listen, God is the one who says those things, not you. Like, God has already told you what he's like. Paul, finally, he gets to Jesus, finally gets to the point of a sermon who he calls the judge of the world. Up until now, people have been allowed to live in their sin. They've been allowed to believe all these false things about the gods that aren't true. Um... But God, through Jesus, is one day going to judge each and every single person. Paul's basically like, listen, even though God's allowed you to live your life this way and do whatever you want for a long time, this will not happen forever. Eventually, there will be a time that every single person will be judged for what they've done. Those who have believed and trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection, their sins are paid for. They don't have to fear that day because Jesus dealt with it all on the cross. But for those who did not, they'll be judged for their sin, separated from God forever. And so God proved that he would do this when he raised Jesus from the dead. So, verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. But, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among them whom were also Dionysius, I believe it is, the Areopagite, the Areop- um, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So, after Paul's message, this is really key, the people of Athens are pretty mixed. Some people make fun of him because the Greeks didn't really believe in bodily resurrection. They kind of believed that everything fleshly was bad, so they, didn't, they thought he was an idiot. Some people said that they would hear it again, but they didn't fully commit. And only a few people actually followed Jesus. Two people are named here. But what I want you guys to notice here is a lot of people actually wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Like, there was a whole group of people, a whole big council of people, like, we want to hear what you say. And then... Even more, like, wanted to hear about it later, but only a few of them were actually willing to accept the message as the truth and live their lives on it. Like, only a little bit. There was all those people who wanted to listen, and then some made fun of them, and it got even smaller, and said, oh, we'll hear you again, but that's pretty vague. And only a few people really actually based their lives on it. And I think it's really easy, and you see this a lot today, for people to hear the gospel and say, well, that was really nice. And then they move on, and they don't think about it anymore after that. But when we do that, guys, when we do that, when we hear the gospel and just say, eh, whatever, it's like we're missing out on everything the gospel offers us. We're missing out on the strength and love that comes from having a real relationship with Jesus. Like he wants each of us to know him and interact with him. That's Paul's point in the message, is that God is not far off at all, and he actually wants to have a relationship with everyone. Whoa, that's cool. Did you just silence that out of your chest? That was crazy. Um, But... He wants each of us to know and to interact with him. And the beautiful part, guys, is that he's already said everything you need to know about God in the Bible. It's already there. And so here's my question for you guys. Eyes up here for the last little bit. Is like, are you guys basing your lives on what the Bible actually says? Like, are you basing your lives on that? Like, high school is a hard time in life. Would anyone agree with me that being in high school is hard? No, high school's perfect. Only half of you? The other half of you are lying to me. Like, if, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know about you guys. I'm like, that ain't true. Like, high school's hard. Like, 
you're moving towards independence in your life for the first time. You're becoming an adult if you're getting older. Friendships are hard to navigate. Responsibilities are increasing probably at home and at school and if you're doing college stuff. Some of you guys talk to me about your schedules and I'm stressed out. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you guys do it? Like that stuff's hard. But listen, the word of God and a relationship with Jesus, it'll bring you like so much stability in your life. So much of your life has already been decided as true because the Lord said it was true. And so when life gets hard or when I get really down and stressed, which I do, definitely do. Those of you who know me personally know my struggles. When I'm stressed out and struggling, I can go back to the word of God. And here's the best part. It will always be true. I never for a second have to question that. Even when I feel like complete crap, and I don't even feel like any of it's true. Because there are days I read what the Bible says about me and I'm like, that can't be true. I feel like a piece of garbage. But that's not true. Because the Bible speaks the truth to me. I'm going to read this verse to you guys out of James. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, if you need wisdom, raise your hand if you need wisdom. Thank you. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You need wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, and this is key because James is calling me out. He says, be sure that your faith is in God alone. You guys with me? Uh, do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And this is really sad. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. I've seen many believers, many people, and guys, I myself have been a believer for a lot of years. The Lord's really working on me on this unstable in all his ways because I believe the Lord sometimes and then sometimes I'm believing what Liam believes the lies of the enemy the lies of my flesh or whatever and suddenly my life is massively unstable and my emotions are all over the place and I'm thinking irrationally it's because I've refused to place my trust in the firm word of God and if I don't believe that to be true my life is just liable to shake like I've built my life on sand like of course it's going to crumble around me because I haven't ever been refusing to believe the Lord I'm not saying there's not grace for me and there's not grace for you in that. Please, please don't mistake me. There is. But I am saying you're giving yourself a lot of heartache you really don't need. And I speak from very much from personal experience on that. Um, I want you guys to be stable in life. I want you guys to be firm, solid believers that know that you know what you know. John writes in 1 John, he says that he writes those things in 1 John so that you may know. Not so that you might think, not so that you might guess, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you base your life off that point, man, so many other things are figured out. Like you already know the goal of your life. You already know where you're going and what you want to do with your life. Um, you want to serve Jesus and glorify him because he bought you. Um, so that's my encouragement to you guys. Like, man, build your life on the word of God. Like that's what we should be doing. Um, do you guys have any questions on this passage or any thoughts, anything I didn't mention that you'd like to add? Nothing important. Okay, if it's not important, come talk to me later. No questions? Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. Oh. Um, when you were talking about like how they all heard, but like they had different responses, is there a verse that talks about like faith versus who has ears let him hear? Like what is the context of that verse? Like, yeah. So Jesus says that a lot at the end of his teachings. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Kind of a weird thing to say, because if you're hearing him, you have ears. So it's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, what in the world do you mean? 
What Jesus is saying is like, man, those who have ears to hear, those are people who are actually paying attention and want to hear his words. If they're seeking him for what's true, they'll understand what he's talking about. Jesus straight up says, that's why he teaches in parables. Because the disciples ask him, like, why do you teach like this? Like, that's weird. Do you guys anyone know what a parable is? A parable. Uh, let's see. Um, David. It's using a short story to describe what he wants to say to his disciples or say God. Yeah. Jesus does this all the time. Does anyone remember, like, a parable? Like, yeah, April. Exactly. Jesus is using that as an example of what it looks like when the word of God affects people differently. So Jesus is, the reason he says, like, who has ears to hear, let him hear. The point he's making is like, listen, if you want to hear my words, if you want to listen to me, you'll seek it out and you'll understand. But if you're just like, eh, whatever, like, you'll just walk away. And Jesus says so that by hearing, they may not hear. Like, that sounds like a weird thing to say, and he's quoting the prophets when he says that. But it's like, these things don't just get those for free. You have to seek me to find them. Because Jesus' goal isn't to overwhelm our free will and, like, not let us choose him. He wants people who are genuinely seeking him. That's why, like, Jesus, you guys know Jesus wants to be with you more than anything, right? I say that all the time. But (laughs) any of you guys know that you don't just get that for free, right? Like, I can't just tell you that and all of you have a magical relationship with Jesus all of a sudden. You have to seek him out because that's what he wants. That's the way he set things up is that you seek him because you want him. Because what that means is you love him. You actually love the Lord. That's what he wants. Not a robot who does his will because I've often wanted God to crack open the sky and just tell me what he wants me to do. But if he does that, then I'm not really loving Jesus anymore. I'm just kind of doing what he says because I have to. I mean, that sounds terrifying, right? So it's like, that's not what Jesus wants for me or for you. He wants you to seek him. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southeast Students Podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out more online by visiting our website at ccseportland.com. Hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you later. Peace.